If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And uh, we'll be there together in just a moment. On Monday, Alice bought a parrot. It didn't talk, so the next day she returned to the pet store. He needs a ladder, she was told, so she bought a ladder. But another day passed and the parrot still didn't say a word. How about a swing, the store clerk suggested. So Alice bought a swing, the the next day a mirror, the next day a miniature plastic tree, the next day a shiny parrot toy. Well, on Sunday morning, Alice was standing outside the pet store when it opened. She had the parrot cage in her hand and tears in her eyes. Her parrot was dead. Did it ever say a word, the store owner asked. Yes, Alice said through her sobs. Right before he died, he looked at me and asked, don't they sell any food at that pet store? There's a preacher joke for you. So Alice was giving her parrot all kinds of good things, mirrors, toys, those are good things, but, but not the necessary essential thing. She was neglecting food. You can't live without food. So what about us? God in his grace gives us all kinds of good things that can help us in this life, but are all of those things of equal importance? Or does he say you need one thing Above all, does he give us one thing that is essential, something that if we don't have it, no matter how many other good things we have, will lead to our death? If you will, please take your Bible and stand with me, and let's look together at Romans chapter 7. We stand in honor of God's word. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died, to Christ, uh, have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead in, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so God, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word and the teaching of your word and that you would just speak to us today. We wanna know your heart. We wanna know your heart for your people. And so God, may we be open to whatever you would say. Speak to our hearts in mind, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can be seated. So in the first six chapters of Romans, Paul has been teaching us the gospel. He showed us that we are sinners, all of us, and that there is one solution to our sin problem, faith in Jesus and what Christ has done for us at the cross. 
And Paul has just said in Romans 6.14, right before this section, he, he made this statement. He said, believers are not under the law, but under grace. And now here in Romans 7, he's going to explain what he meant. And he gives us an illustration to help us understand. And so looking again at verse 1, he says, Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Do you not know, brothers? Uh, it could also be translated, are you ignorant, brothers? But at least in our context, that's not very nice. So uh, he says, uh, do you not know? He does call them brothers, it's the Greek word adelphoi, brothers. And uh, many times in scripture, depending on the context, that can mean both brothers and sisters. And this is one of those places. The Bibles we have here in the church are the ESV Bible, and they'll usually have a footnote uh, letting you know when it can mean both brothers and sisters. And so Paul uses that word adelphoi, brothers and sisters, when he's deeply moved about something. It's only the second time he's called them brothers so far in Romans. He loves these people. They're his family in Christ and he really wants them to grasp what he's saying and who they are in Christ. And so he asks them, uh, don't you realize that a dead person is not bound to the law any longer? This makes sense to us, right? Practically speaking, uh, dead people don't have speed limits. Uh, dead people don't get grounded. Well, I guess they do in a certain sense. But uh, um, yeah, dead, dead, people, um, dead people don't get busted for cheating on an exam. Uh, they're not bound to the rules of work. They, they don't have to punch a time clock. There's, there's no law that binds dead people. And so Paul is stating a simple fact for us. Dead people are released from the law. And now he really wants to drive this home and, 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 and show us where he's going with this. So he gives us an illustration in verse 2 and 3. He tells us about a husband who dies. And now because he is dead, the wife is free to remarry if she desires because she's been released from the law of marriage. And his illustration here, it's not meant to be taken allegorically. It's meant to teach us a principle. Uh, sometimes we're tempted when we read scripture to read more in to what the author actually meant. Uh, Paul's not really trying to teach us about marriage here. Uh, he'll do that later elsewhere in the epistles. But he's seeking to illustrate a basic fact. It looks like this. We get married, those of us whom the Lord calls to get married, and we take our vows, we promise to honor and cherish each other as long as we both shall live, or another way to say it is till death do us part. And so Paul is just saying that the law of marriage is valid only as long as both husband and wife are living. If one of the spouses passes away, that the other is released from the law of marriage and is free to marry again if he or she desires. And so he's illustrating the fact that, that dead people, people who die, they're not under the law. So nice point, Paul. Thanks for that. Appreciate that. Um, where are you going with this? There's got to be something deeper, right? And so those listening to Paul, those believers at the church in Rome, that's who he's talking to, believers, Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, uh, they think they know what he's going to say. 
He's been extolling God's grace throughout Romans. Remember what he said in Romans 5, where our sin increased, God's grace increased all the more. So it's been grace, grace, grace. And so they're expecting Paul to say that the law is dead now, and because of Christ, you no longer have to obey it. But that's not what he says. Verse four, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Notice it's not the law that dies. Who dies? We die. Just like Paul had said in chapter six, who died in our baptism We died. Many of our pastors here in the church, when we baptize people uh, behind this curtain, there is a baptistry there, um, when we baptize people up there, we'll say often, buried with Christ in baptism, or we're dead with Christ and we're raised to walk in the newness of life. So we died with Christ. Paul will say to the Galatians, he'll say, you know this verse, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he says specifically here in verse four that we have died to the law. And he's talking about God's moral laws, God's good decrees, his good commands that that were given to Moses at Mount Sinai and then summed up in the Ten Commandments, those, those laws that were given to us to teach us how to live godly lives. But here's what happened. Instead of people seeing God's law as good and a delight, like the psalmist talks about in Psalm 119, it had become a burden to them. Peter, in the book of Acts, he described the law as a yoke that neither our fathers or we have been able to bear. It had become an obligation to them, not a blessing. And Paul is saying now in Christ, we're delivered from that obligation. You see, the law was a system of do this and live. But now in Christ, it's no longer do this and live, it's believe and be saved. The gospel declares that you are loved and accepted not for what you do, but for what Christ has done for you. And so all that the law had in terms of condemnation and penalty, that was all put on Christ. God's wrath, his his righteous anger towards our sin was entirely put on Jesus. And so believers are not bound to the law any longer, not because the law died, but because we died. And Paul says it was through the body of Christ there in verse four. He's talking about Jesus' physical body that was broken for us at the cross. Galatians 3.13, Paul said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And he says, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And that was Jesus hanging on that tree for us. Now, why is this hopeful? And how do we, many of us in this room who are believers, how do we continue to struggle at times in our lives with going back and living under the law, rules, lists to follow? Well, our tendency is to think that 
we must do things in order for God to love us. We know that in the flesh, in this fallen world, nothing comes free, so we just think that we have to do enough good things and then we can be made right with God and that's what every other religious system is based on. If I do good things, I'll earn the approval of God. And if you say, no, that's not me, I get God's grace. Like, I get that it's all grace and that we don't do anything and our our works are in response. Well, you might read the book of Galatians for a sobering reminder. The Galatians knew the gospel of grace. Paul had taught it to them. But they quickly moved on and started adding more rules and, and more laws to the gospel because they started believing, surely God must require more things from us. And if I don't do those things, God won't love me. Let me give you an example of how this can look in our lives, how we can fall back under uh, having to obey rules in order to earn God's love. Anybody ever seen someone on television or in a, maybe a live setting spinning plates? Um, I guess their technical title would be a plate spinner. Anyone ever seen that? <laughs> Well, what they'll do is they'll take a thin, flexible rod and then put a plate on it and start spinning it. And then they'll set up another plate and rod and start spinning that one. These are ceramic plates usually, so if they were to fall, they'd be just a mess. Uh, Then they take a third one and start spinning it. And by the time they're spinning that third one, they gotta go back to the first one because it's slowed down and they gotta start spinning that one. Well, before you know it, there's eight or 10 plates all over the stage and the guy's just running around everywhere, just spinning them and they're all wobbling. And those of us watching, we're just waiting for disaster to happen. Well, our Christian lives can be like that. It might look like this. You, you place your faith in Jesus. You believe in the gospel of grace. You're a Christian now. And one day in church, the guy next to you notices that you're having trouble finding the book of Romans in your Bible. And so he says to you after the service, hey, have you been reading God's word? And you say, yes, I've been seeking to do that. Uh, I just open it up and kind of just point to a place at random. And he says, well, you know, maybe that's not the best way to read the Bible. So let me give you a plan to read the Bible. And so a few days later, you put up this plate in your life called Bible reading And you start spinning that plate. It's a good thing, reading God's word. Well, fast forward a few months and you're busier than ever because right after that, another person told you, you know what, as you're reading the Bible, don't just read it, really meditate deeply on scripture. And you're like, yes, I wanna do that. This is God's word, I wanna meditate on it. And so you put up that plate of scripture meditation. You start spinning that plate. And then after that, somebody tells you, you know what, Christians really need accountability. Uh, Men and women, we need to be in groups with people or relationships where they can hold us accountable. And you say, yes, I want that. I wanna follow Jesus. And so you join an accountability group. Maybe it meets on Thursday mornings and you start spinning that plate of accountability in your life. And then you hear a sermon, maybe somebody like me, and the pastor says, prayer is really important. And you say, yes, I wanna pray, I wanna have conversation with God. And and so you put that plate up and you start spinning the plate of prayer in your life. And and don't forget, you got these other plates of of, of meditating on scripture and, and reading the Bible and accountability, so you're spinning those. 
Well, then you're listening to Christian radio and, and the guy on the radio says, you know what, Christians should really fast. Like fasting is a good spiritual discipline. And you say, yes, I love the Lord and I wanna learn that he's my everything, that I can uh, take breaks from food or other things and find my worth in him. So you put up the plate of fasting and you start spinning that plate. Well, in this scenario, let's say you're married and, and you and your spouse really wanna be godly husbands and wives and have a great marriage. And so somebody tells you about a marriage group that you can join and you say, we're doing that, we're gonna be in a marriage group. And so you, you put up the plate of, of marriage training in your life and you start spinning that plate. In this scenario, you have children, uh, maybe two, four, seven, 15 of them, I don't know. And, um, and you really wanna be a, a great parent and you heard about parenting seminars on the weekends and you say, we're gonna go to those, we're gonna learn how to be godly parents. So you start spinning that plate in your life and you got all these plates spinning, all these things that you're doing spiritual activities and every one of them is really really good just like those good things in the cage with Alice's parrot and some of them are vital yet without realizing it you've allowed a dangerous shift to take place in your mind and in your heart what God had intended just like the law in Romans 7 to be a means of experiencing his grace has now for you become a means of earning his grace. Instead of worship and devotion to the Lord, these spiritual activities, all these plates have, have become a set of rules that you must live by in order for God to love you. And so you show up to church on some Sundays and you worship with, with such heartfelt passion and joy why? Because you had a really good week and all the plates were spinning and you've been spending time with God and prayer and your marriage is going good and your parenting is, is going good. But then the next week you come back to church on a week when so many of the plates fell in your life and you're hesitant to approach God. You find it difficult to worship him freely because you feel like God disapproves of you. And your confidence is no longer in the gospel of grace where you once started. It's now in your performance, which just hasn't been so great lately. Here's the reality, what Paul wants us to see. When we died with Christ, we were freed from having to earn God's approval. God approves of you, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. All of us, even on our best day, we don't measure up to God's holy standard. Even those of us that like to pride ourselves in keeping the rules, and some of us are really good at keeping all those plates going in our lives, it's still not good enough. You know, we sang earlier, just a few moments ago, we sang, my sin, all oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And why do we sing songs like that with such fervor? Because we rejoice that, that our past, our sin, not just of years ago, but of today, of this very morning, our sins of rebellion and, and lust, 
and anger and unforgiveness, we rejoice that those sins are nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ and we bear them no more. Now, how's that possible? Because Paul says, here in verse four, in the middle, we now belong to another. And that's the main point of these six verses. Because of the cross, because of what Christ has done, because you've died with him through the gospel, you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. Your past is dead. You've been crucified with Christ. And because of that, you can belong to another. Say it with me. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. Say it again. I belong to Jesus. Say it louder. I belong to Jesus. What I did or what was done to me, that's not where I belong. I belong to Jesus. The wrongs that I've done no longer cling to me or enslave me. I belong to Jesus. The past, it does not define me. I belong to Jesus. The pain that I've experienced in my life, that's not my identity. I belong to Jesus. The friend who hurt me or the spouse who left me, that's not where my security is. I belong to Jesus. And when the enemy accuses me, I can say, Satan, you have no authority in my life because I belong to Jesus. And when I've had a bad week, on a week when all the plates come crashing down, that's not the final word over my life because I belong to Jesus. And so we, we look at our sin and, and we say, that's not my master anymore. Those things do not define me. My identity is in Christ because I belong to him. And this union with Christ is meant to do something. Just like in a good marriage, it's meant to bear fruit. You see that? Paul says at the end of verse four that we may bear fruit for God. Does God want believers to do good things for him? Absolutely. All those plates that we spin in our lives, those are good things. If anyone ever tells you God doesn't care how you live your life as a believer, run. Because <laughs> that's not what the Bible says. Paul places great emphasis on bearing fruit throughout the epistles. And, and God will use his good law, his good commands to show us how to do that. Every one of God's commands, those things he, he gives us and tells us to do, they're all for our good. And God uses them to make us more like Jesus. If you are in Christ, scripture says you are sanctified and you will continue being sanctified. That is made more like Jesus. And that's the beautiful grand design of our union with Christ, the sanctification of his people. As long as we live, we will be a, a sanctified, fruit-bearing people. But only if we've died with Christ. Because Paul tells us in verse 5, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So in the flesh, we desired our own law. We desired to follow our own ways. And, and the law, before we were joined to Jesus, his good law, it actually worked against us. It showed us our sin 
more than it helped to prevent it. And that's what Paul's gonna talk about in the rest of Romans 7 next week. And so Paul says, the law came, sin partnered with the law. It aroused our flesh to do the very thing which the law told us not to do. And so the law itself stirred up active disobedience to what the law demanded, and we bore fruit, all right, but it was the fruit for death, not for life. But now, verse six, we're released from the law. Paul's gonna remind us again, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code or letter. And notice the transformation that takes place. Previously, we lived our lives from the outside in. We have God's law, his good moral code, moral letter. And uh, we, we've taken that, we apply it to our lives from the outside in. Paul, as a pious Jew, before he knew Christ, would have lived his whole life in absolute submission to the law from the outside in. But now in Christ, now that we've died with Christ, we live from the inside out. The Spirit supplies the power from within to serve God and to live for his glory. And being released from the law, we're, we're now not free to sin, we're free to serve in the Spirit. Don't miss that. We do not serve him in our own strength, but through the Spirit. Obedience to the law is only possible through reliance upon the Holy Spirit. And so God had made this beautiful promise to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. Listen to these words, just allow them to speak to your heart. This is the Lord speaking. He says, behold the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. Wow, what a promise. And Paul is saying here to the church at Rome, to the believers, that day that Jeremiah prophesied about hundreds of years earlier, it's here, it's come in Christ, and you belong to Jesus now. Your sins are forgiven and the Spirit lives in you, and because he's in you, his law, his good commands, his good purposes, they're now written on your heart from the inside out, and now you know him, and you walk with him, because the old you has died, and Christ now lives in you. And so what questions can we ask ourselves in response to this word today? First, am I looking to the law or to Christ? Do I belong to the law or to Christ? I've known in my own life what it's like to struggle with understanding God's grace and thinking that I have to do things in order for him to love me. Uh, when I was 19, my pastor in the first church I served in as a worship leader, 
Uh, he began to walk our church uh, through the book of Romans, and he did that for three and a half years, the entire time I was there. And he and I would meet regularly in his office just to look at what the Bible says, in particular, uh, the gospel um, of Paul in the book of Romans. You see, before then, I, I kind of understood the Bible to read like this. You're a Christian now. You've been set free from sin. Now be good. Stop doing bad things. And I made God's love for me dependent upon how good I was doing at that. But as I studied the book of Romans and later the book of Galatians and, and then throughout my 20s and 30s, the rest of, of the scriptures, I began to see that never in my earthly existence will my performance meet the standard of God's holiness. Until I see Jesus one day, sin will continue to have an effect on me. You see, what I was missing when I would read the Bible was that being holy and acceptable to God is not a statement about what I will become. It's a declaration of who I already am. I already am holy and acceptable to God because of Jesus. And the scriptures give us all kinds of commands or imperatives uh, standards of God's holiness that we're called to obey. We'll get to many of those later in Romans. But Paul always identifies who we are before he tells us what to do. He tells us that we are a holy people before he tells us to do holy things. And that order never varies in scripture. The imperatives or the commands are always based on our identity. Even in the Old Testament, think about this. God did not say to his people, you obey me and then I'll consider making you my people. No, he said this, because I've made you my people, now obey me in response. God always reminds us who we are first and then calls us to holy living. Jesus alone kept the terms of God's covenant and lived a perfect, sinless life, died in our place as our substitute. And as we believe in him, we never look again to the law in order to receive the love and favor of God. We already have it through Jesus. And that's a story that never, ever grows old. About a week and a half ago, Holly and I were singing uh, for, the, for the funeral of Mr. James Healer, a godly man who lived a long life and uh, served as a worship leader in churches throughout his life. And, and he understood the gospel and the gospel of grace. His service that day really wasn't a celebration of what James had done. It was a celebration of what Jesus has done. And we sang a song, uh, a hymn at the end of the service that it had been many years since I had heard these words. And as I was singing them, God just spoke to my heart. They're these words. I love to tell the story. For those who know it best, many of us in this room who've heard the gospel many times seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory, when we're in heaven one day, I'll sing the new, new song, but it will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. And the chorus says, I love to tell the story Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of what? Of Jesus and his love. 
And if you don't know that story and you've never believed in the person that that story is about, we would love to talk to you today and pray with you, tell you how you can know Jesus. The scriptures tell us in Romans 10 that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Love for you to do that today. The second question to ask ourselves today in response to this word is uh, here in Romans 7 is this. If I have believed, if I'm a believer, am I bearing fruit for God? If you're a Christian, that's your calling. You're joined with Christ now. Jesus said, he who abides in me, he who is joined to me, he who belongs to me will bear much fruit. And so if you're joined to Jesus, if you belong to him, you will be bearing fruit. Paul is saying here in Romans 7, you can either be married to the law and bear fruit for death, or you're married to Christ and bear fruit for God, but you cannot be unmarried. You belong to something, either Jesus or the law. There's no such thing as belonging to nothing. And the law now in Christ is a gift to us. It serves as a gracious guide to help us to bear fruit for God's glory in our lives. Uh, Those of us who are married or have children or parents still living, uh, we've learned over time what it is that brings honor to those that we love and we seek to do those things. Holly loves flowers. Um, Holly loves if I help around the house. Uh, She loves it when I spend time with her. So always imperfectly, always, I seek to do those things as the Spirit guides me because I love her and because I know how much she loves me. And so God shows us through his good law and commands ways that we can honor him, things that bring him glory. He shows us his love language, so to speak. And that's our ultimate motivation to bearing fruit for Jesus, love. He loved us first. How could we not Love him back. Not because the law is my master and I have to, but because we belong to Jesus and we want to. Not because obedience leads to salvation, but because salvation leads to obedience. And how do we bear fruit? How do we serve? In the new way of the spirit. The Christian life can be summed up as this. Serving the risen Christ in the power of the spirit. But you have to die first. In God's upside down kingdom, you have to die to truly live. Alice's parrot needed food to live, but Alice gave her everything else instead. Good things, but not the most essential thing. We need to belong to Jesus to truly live. He's the one thing we can't live without. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so for some of us today, God is calling us to lay down our spinning plates of thinking that we can earn his approval or that we have to, and instead find our identity in Christ. Sometimes we can get so busy doing things for God and for others that we neglect God himself. And that's what's happening in the story of Mary and Martha, right? You know that story in Luke 10? Two sisters, Mary and Martha, they had a brother, Lazarus, and they were good friends of Jesus. Isn't that neat to think about? Jesus had good friends. 
And so he was in their home one day, presumably for dinner, and uh, Martha, the older sister, she was apparently really good at spinning plates and just doing lots of things because it says she was distracted with much serving. But Mary, she had learned that she belonged to Jesus. She wasn't trying to impress him, but to worship and to know him, and so she sat at his feet and listened. Martha says to Jesus, Jesus, tell my sister to help me. I'm doing everything here. Tell Mary to get up and help me serve. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're so anxious and troubled. One thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that, the good portion, and I will not take that away from her. And so from the outside looking in, it can look like Martha's doing all the fruit bearing and all the serving and that Mary's just doing nothing. But until you find your worth in Jesus, you will not bear fruit for him. Not until you know and believe how much he loves you, not for what you do, but for what he's done and for who you are in him. So you may ask, well, how can spending time with Jesus, just sitting at his feet and listening to Jesus, how can that lead to bearing fruit in my life? Well, I'm so glad you asked. About six months ago, uh, Ryan too, who's our missions pastor here at our church, he started investing in our son, uh, Cayman, who recently turned 20 years old, and um, a couple other guys his age. And they began meeting every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. to read God's word, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to to behold God in his word, doing what Mary did. And uh, Holly and I have watched um, each Tuesday morning at about 5.30 a.m. when we're still sleeping, uh, we, we hear that door close and it's the sweetest sound in our ears. And we've watched this boy who couple years ago was really wrestling with his faith and wrestling against us even at times like so many people do with their parents and we've watched him begin to become more and more like Jesus. We've watched him bear the fruit of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. We see him bearing fruit and becoming more like Jesus, not through spinning all kinds of religious plates in an attempt to earn God's favor, but through sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so do you belong to Jesus, not through what you've done, but through what Christ has done for you? If you do, then watch and marvel and worship him as he works in your life through the spirit to bear much fruit for him and his glory. And your joy and your peace and your hope will be found in knowing this truth, this truth that can never, ever change. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how your word changes us. Where would we be without you, Jesus? Where would we be without your word and how it guides us and makes us more like you? And so God, we ask today, this morning, I ask that you would just speak to our hearts, to every person in this room. 
There are some who are just so busy and doing so many things and, and sometimes they're doing those things because they think they have to in order for you to love them. I pray today that we would believe the true gospel of grace, that there is nothing we could ever do to make you love us. You love us because of what you have done. And so speak that into our hearts. Remind us of Christ and the good news. As we sing, uh, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.